We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our Prime Spark. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of talking with Michelle Fishburne, a woman whose life I greatly admire. Michelle Fishburne's life turned upside down during the 2020 COVID spring when she lost her job and could not find another, notwithstanding months of trying. At the end of July 2020, when the lease on her post-divorce house was up and her youngest was going off to college, Michelle found herself without a house, a spouse, a job, or a kid to take care of. That was what she did not have. What she did have was a 2006 motorhome, tons of curiosity, and lots of experience RVing all over the country. She combined all of these into a cross-country project, interviewing people about their lives during the pandemic. She RV'd 12,000 miles and interviewed hundreds of people. Now 100 of those first-person stories are being published by UNC Press and the Duke Center for Documentary Studies. Who We Are Now, Stories of What Americans Lost and Found During the COVID-19 Pandemic, March 2023. Michelle continues to be a full-time nomad, living and working in her motorhome, Airbnbs, and the occasional house-sitting gig. Her favorite thing about aging is that it gives us each an opportunity to change and see the many facets of ourselves, reassembled each time in different ways, like a kaleidoscope. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so happy you're here with us today. Happy to be here, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, you're welcome. So just in getting started, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think that you don't? Um, if I didn't look in the mirror, I don't think I would know that I was... Um, appearing to get older to the outside world. 
Um, if that makes any sense. Makes a lot I, of sense. I, um, and, um, but what I appreciate getting old about getting older is the amount of experience and wisdom and skills that I have developed. And, you know, as we've been talking about ageism and, and it really does seem kind of odd because you would think the people in society who had been through the most, um, had processed the most, had done the most deep thinking, who had assembled the most skills. My goodness, you would think that we would be gold. And um, it is very odd that um, that we don't see uh, the older people in our society that way. Maybe we're starting to. Um, but uh, And I didn't even realize it until a woman named Elizabeth Eisel who started the uh, global, what's that global Institute for Experienced Entrepreneurship. There we go. And she f- flies all over the world talking about how by not encouraging our, our older people in society to stay active and doing startups and entrepreneurship and working, that we're, our GDPs are so much smaller than they would be. And when she said that, I just was stunned. And 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 it, and this was about I don't know four years ago, but it really reframed how I understood the older people in our society. I agree a hundred percent with you, Michelle, which is not surprising. But um, I do. I mean, it it is fascinating to me. I mean, I have interviewed now over oh I don't know over way over hundred women. And ask them the question I just asked you. And I'll bet you 98% say something like you just said. And many say, well, you know, when I look in the mirror, I can see it. And yeah, my knees hurt a little bit more than they used to. But other than that, and then they talk about how good they how good they feel, how good they feel about themselves, how, how much they did it, that, 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 that. And why? Just what you said, why our society has not caught up with the fact of who we really are in our 50s, 60s, 70s. I've got a good friend in her 90s and she skis. Now, I mean, that is an outlying experience, but she's not the only person in her 90s who's doing amazing things. And so, you know, I think we are, I think you're right. I think we are. starting to catch up with that but it's amazing to me that we haven't and um it's amazing to me in this time of of finding it hard to find good workers that we're not hiring more older people who really would many in, in many cases like to keep working it just seems like it but it kind of makes sense at the same time because it's a vestige of the past um in that in that um there was a period of time not that long ago. So maybe my mom, my mom and dad in their mid eighties. And I think their parents, no, so that's not even true about their parents. No, I mean, I'm trying to find a reason why it would make sense. Um, and I mean, we're obviously living longer. And so Riggs, we've, we, we just haven't caught up with the fact that, um, I don't know. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> no, that you're right. 
Uh, we haven't caught up with the fact that da, 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 da. yes, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. So let's talk about your amazing adventure because that is just incredible. So when you went through what you went through with your uh, divorce and the house and the kid, da, 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 there are other things you could have done. Why did you come to the decide to do motorhoming all over the U.S. during the pandemic? Well, so what? So on July 15th, I was sitting in my car in the Target parking lot and I had to make a decision. I had to tell the movers where to put my stuff when they came on July 31st. So it came down to a very basic decision. And since I had submitted 86 customized cover letters all over the country and nobody wanted me and I even offered my services as a 57 year old, very experienced and mature and reliable free intern and nobody even wanted me for free. And that's true. Um, I thought, well, uh, it doesn't make any sense for me to rent an apartment because I have no idea where I'm going to have to move to get a job. So that was, you know, that was a, a really big constraint on moving forward in any way that resembled a normal life. And so I had this 2006 motorhome that I'm currently sitting in um, and living in um, that I had homeschooled my kids in once for 10 months when they were four and seven, and again for four months when they were seven and nine. And we had caravan with my parents who had been full-time motorhome, were full-time motorhomers for seven years. They got bored with country club life. So they they decided to go out and do photography and enjoy the national parks. And so I knew how to do that. And I still had the motorhome. I had thought about selling it over the years as the kids were teenagers and weren't interested in going out in the motorhome. Oh, mom, I don't want to go in the motorhome. You know, one of those. And um, so I was like, wow, thank goodness I've got that motorhome. So my dog and I moved into the motorhome. And then the quest, well, uh, sitting there in that parking lot, the same thing was okay. So I move into the motorhome. Then what? And the thing is, you can be absolutely miserable in paradise. And I, I thought, well, I could take the motorhome to the beach. And then I realized, yeah, if I got up every morning and still tried to find a job or consult my way to a new job, which everybody was trying to do who was out of a job, um, then I'm just going to wake up every morning panicked in paradise. And that didn't sound fun. Um, and then I said, okay, well, what could I do? Like, what kind of project? And then Humans of New York came to mind. It's Brandon Stanton's project. He photographed thousands and thousands of people in New York City. And then he interviewed them while he was photographing them. And it became, a, he did social media. It's on Instagram. And then he did a, um, a book and it was a bestseller. And, and so I thought, all right, I'll do Americans of the Pandemic. I'll have my friend build a website. I'll do social media. I'll talk to the press. And in December, 2020, I'll say, look to, to potential employers, look, look, look what I can do. So the idea was to do something productive, to keep myself entertained and busy and not feeling panicked until I could get a job. And so I just started driving and um, uh, I'm very naive, which is a charming thing about me in some respects and sort of a stupid thing about me in other respects. But um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about how you find people to interview during a pandemic. Um, 
I mean, when John Steinbeck did this in 1960, there were tons of people he could drink and smoke with and chat with and pat their backs and, you know, but yeah, it wasn't like that. So finding people to interview was, was kind of tricky. Well, it was also during the pandemic and you couldn't go to meet people in bars. Nobody was in bars. You couldn't go, you know, people were whole up in their homes. How did you find people? Yeah. So when I first started, I was in Withville, Virginia was my first stop up in the mountains. And um, I started going up to people at campsites and they were like, who is that strange lady? So nobody wanted to talk to me, um, which was good, I guess, because they were they they, they made me realize how tricky this was going to be. And so I'd start I started to email to places I was going to go because I thought I'll go from North Carolina out to Yellowstone. So I started to email like museums and radio shows and and newspapers, et cetera, um, to, you know, organizations. And I thought, well, at least they're functioning. Maybe they'll have. So that kind of worked. I um, in West Virginia, I met a woman named Cindy, who was an education director at Huntington Museum of Art. We talked about how you do education of people during a pandemic. I went to Cincinnati and interviewed one of their new commissioners, who is also the publisher of the only all black um, or not all black, but the only black newspaper in Cincinnati. Like, And I went to another museum. So like I, I started it that way. Um, and then and then um, St. Louis, uh, a friend of a friend said, hey, you can drive up and park in my house. Uh, driveway. He had been a judge and, and he connected me with people. So, you know, it did roll, but it was like, it was like limping along. And then I got out to Cheyenne and nobody was in, in answering my emails. And so I looked a little bit to the right of Cheyenne to the East. And there's this little town called Pine Bluffs. And way before the pandemic, I had gone to a conference called Radically Rural. And I had done the journalism track and in it, they said, you know, the key to small town America is Facebook. That is the new town square. So I went on Facebook and I saw that Pine Bluffs had had a kite festival in September. So I reached out to their parks and rec person. I'm like, can I interview you about your kite festival? And so she said, sure. And, uh, and so, um, what I, when I sat down to interview her, she's like, why? I mean, it's just a kite festival, Michelle. Like, why are you here? And I said, Sonia, maybe you don't understand this, but nobody on the East Coast right now can have a kite festival. She's like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And then she connected me with people in town. So what I ended up doing was in the smaller communities, that's how I did it was Facebook. But then in the big cities, I would use connections like a friend of a friend of a friend um, to connect with people in the big cities. Uh, so New York City and L.A. and, um, uh, well, St. Louis and Chicago, D.C. It's probably one of those, I don't know this, but it's probably one of those things that you can't get your first job until you have experience. Um, and once you do have, then you can, once you have several people who have agreed to interview you, then you have people you can say you've interviewed. Um, when you're in, you know, when you're with your first one or two people, how many people have you interviewed? Well, I haven't interviewed anybody yet, but my plan is to. I mean, you know, that's very tricky. So that, that that helps. I mean, as soon as I had the website up and running, and I 
before I left, I interviewed a bunch of people in my own community of Chapel Hill, Hillsboro, Durham, North Carolina. And so I already had um, people's uh, stories up on the website and on Instagram. So I was able to point to a real website. Um, and I had been interviewed in the press here before I left. So I, I did have some base, but still in the beginning, it was a little, it was a little rough. Yeah, um, I can imagine. But to your to your point though about um, people weren't in bars. Let's put a pause on that because so I started the trip in September 2020. But the experience during the pandemic all over the United States was dramatically different. So when I went into this bar restaurant in Pine Bluffs, um, probably the beginning of October. I went, I got a hamburger and there's nobody in the restaurant. I, I'm talking to the bartender and I say, so, you know, how are things? And she said, fine. I said, but you know, how's, how, how's business? And she said, it's okay. She said, it's fine. You're here at four o'clock at five 30, come back and this place will be packed. You know, they had the, the pool table and this and that and the other thing. So I get my, um, and they had a pass through, like they had a drive up window for alcohol, which they had had long before the people on the East Coast were ever allowed to do that. Um, so um, so I went back to the campground and I went on Facebook and I said to my friends on Facebook, I said, you guys, you know, I could go back to this restaurant this evening and talk to people. But I know that nobody's going to be wearing a mask. And people were kind of where people were shocked and they were very, very, very shocked. And, you know, as I went along, um, it occurred to me that critical thinking actually goes a couple different ways. And here's a, a town of 900 people who uh, had three people get COVID by the time beginning of October rolled around. They were all fine after after they got it. And. So their critical thinking led them to say, well, we don't need our masks because this thing's been in the United States now for 10 months and we're doing OK. So it, it, it's tricky. You know, it, uh, this um, pandemic and the experience defies probably any generalization. That's interesting because I don't know because I don't know Pine Bluff, but I would assume that they don't have a lot of international contact they don't have a lot of people outside pine bluff coming through pine bluff and especially not during the pandemic because so many people wouldn't assume they could travel to pine you know so they were sort of not completely of course but sort of self-contained that's very true they did have their rodeo in july though and um it was the biggest one they'd ever had. And there were so many people there that the food trucks ran out of food. <laughs> now, um, did I wear my mask as I went throughout the United States? Yes, I did. Did I have moments where I took it off because my gut told me, you know, I would look around the room or, or outside or whatever. And I felt like I needed to in order to establish a trust with the person. Yes. I found out that uh, risk is a personal value, which was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I live in California in, in very metropolitan area. So my experience during that time was 180 degrees from what you just described. Sure. 
So, okay. Now, Michelle, I've heard you say that you don't think that doing this took bravery. I can imagine that most people I know, if I described what you did, would say, what? Oh, my God, that'd be so scary. Why? Why do you not think it took bravery on your part? Well, I think what was brave was the first time that I took the motorhome out with my four-year-old and my seven-year-old across the country. <laughs> I think that was nuts um, because, because it took me basically a month to get out to my parents and then we traveled in caravan. But that first month, I was like, you are so crazy. So that was brave. I think that was brave. But once I had done it, it, it doesn't seem brave at all. I mean, it was a lot more brave to do it with a four-year-old um, who I still, you know, had in diapers at night just to make sure there wasn't an accident. I mean, not that she needed them, but that was brave. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think it was brave um, because it, and, and I stayed in commercial campgrounds. So I, I, there was not a safety factor in my mind at all. That's fascinating. I think that, um, again, for most people, it would be a very scary thing to do. I understand from, from your describing it why it wasn't so scary for you. For most of us, I think it would be. <coughs> would be. Well, I think the, un the unknown is always... Um, the unknown is always more, is always scarier than the known. And I was doing something that was known. True, true. Um, I, I wouldn't even... I don't know if I've ever been in a motorhome. So for me, it would be very scary. You talk about how who moved my cheese helped you along with the scarcity and abundance principle. Can you explain all that? I find that I love to move my cheese. How did that apply to your situation now? So my mom had recommended that book to me in the 90s and I had read it. And um, obviously the, the tale of Who Moved My Cheese is very simple, which is that there are these two mice and every day they go into this maze and they go to the same exact little square in the maze and that's, there's cheese waiting there for them. And they do this every single day. And one day they get there and the cheese is gone. And one mouse, we'll call that mouse Jane, says oh my gosh, uh, we'll just come back tomorrow. So the next day they come back and there's no cheese. And then they come back the next day. And then Sally looks at Jane and says, you know, Jane, I don't think the cheese is coming back. So I'm going to go ahead and explore the rest of the maze. And Jane said, no, no, it's coming back. I'm just going to sit and wait here right for it. And Sally said, are you sure? Because, you know, it won't be the same cheese. It'll probably be a different cheese and it may smell and taste different. And you know, we might even like it more. You sure you don't want to come? And Jane says, no, uh, no, fam, I got you. I'm staying right here. And so, um, and that is such an easy to remember um, story. And um, and so what I had found myself was without the cheese in that little box. Um, and I literally had this huge maze that I could explore, the maze being the United States. And both literally and figuratively, figuratively. And so I just went out and I figured there's got to be another cheese someplace. And my life experience has told me 
that when your cheese is moved, there is another cheese out there waiting for you and you just got to find it. And so that was that was one. And then the scarcity abundance principle is part of that. So um, my father um, helped save the astronauts on Apollo 13. I'll make this quick. Um, uh, if you saw the movie, you remember that the lunar module was coming in attached to the command module and they only had enough electricity to power a coffee pot. So there was no way they could power the motors on the lunar module to detach the two. And there's one point where they come in, they ask the Grumman guy, how are we going to detach these two without changing the trajectory of the command module coming in? And he goes, I don't know. We never modeled it. The lunar module is supposed to be left on the moon. So my, my dad and his colleague, their job was to figure it out. And, and so they said, okay, what is scarce? We don't have electricity. Then they paused. And so they noted that and put it off to the left side, let's say, visually. Then they paused. So then think center. And then they looked to the right side and said, what do we have in abundance? And on that side of the whiteboard, if you can imagine a big whiteboard, is oxygen. Because they didn't land on the moon, they had so many oxygen canisters that they weren't going to use. And they said, okay, well, how can we use that abundance, that overabundance? How can we use that? Well, when you blow up a balloon and then you, 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 you kind of pull it with your fingers at the end of it, right? And it makes that funny noise. Well, if you let go, the balloon goes backwards. Well, that's what they did is they put oxygen. Yeah, you see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> they put oxygen in the chamber between the two, a certain calibrated amount, and then they unlatched the levers and it just floated backwards and it didn't change the trajectory of the command module. So that Scarcity and abundance principle apparently is something that is in yoga philosophy, which is what tuned me into this was at the very beginning, I interviewed a friend in August 2020, uh, who was a yoga instructor. And she was talking about the people who felt the scarcity of not being able to be out of their apartments or their houses. And, and she said that they talked to them a lot about the abundance. Well, what do you have that's abundant? You've got more time now. You've got more of this. And like walking through people that, about the scarcity abundance principle. Well, I used it too. You said at the very beginning, that's what she didn't have. But what she did have was blank. And I've done a lot of work in invention education. And that whole phrase, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. That's just scarcity and abundance. Right. So the thing is, if, if, if somebody's listening and they think I don't have enough of or I stay up late at night worrying about or I get up in the morning worrying about this X thing that that, that seems scarce. If if it if they name it. So you got to name it, you got to name it so you know what it is that is bothering you, then you get really quiet because they say when you're lost in the woods. You need to sit in one place and get quiet, right? Because your scarcity, if you have no idea where you are, right? So you get really quiet and then you say, what do I know? What do I have either in me or around me? And how can I use that? And so... Um, and I just, I, I, I now have a, a, a job with a global pharmaceutical consulting firm. And I just use this 
scarcity abundance principle with my vice president the other day. I said, hey, can we just try this for a minute? Because we have everybody has scarcities. Every company has scarcities. So we named our scarcity on a whiteboard. Then we paused, took it off the whiteboard. And then we said, okay, what do we have in abundance? And, and, And we didn't edit it. We just let it all flow. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. Oh, oh, there's this. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh, wait, wait. And, and, and that, and, and, and now we're approaching that scarcity differently. And it is just such a powerful, powerful principle. And right now, from reasons I won't go into, I have uh, a huge, two huge scarcities in my life. Huge. They, and, and, and they make me shake. Um, and, um, Whenever I'm feeling nervous about them, I do this with myself. I get quiet and I'm like, okay, Michelle, what do you have in abundance? I have this, this, oh yeah, that's okay. It's going to be fine. I love that, Michelle. So I think if I think about, let's play with this for just a second. Okay. Um, For older women, they are so many of them can be locked into scarcity. You know, I I don't have what I did have. I can't do what I did do. I don't I don't have enough of this. I'm not this any longer. I don't know. What? And so you and so you would get really you would let you put that to one side and you get. Well, you have to, but you have to name it too, Sarah. Yeah, so I'm, like, I I don't want to name it because I don't want to lead people places if they want to do it. Well, Tom, okay, I'll just I'll just do one of mine. Okay. You know, I'm I'm divorced. I homeschooled my kids. I used to be an international trade lawyer. I had an entire closet full of black tie dresses. Right. Then I made some life decisions that took me away from monetary abundance. Okay. So one one of my current issues is money. And so I have to name that and then put it to the side even though it scares me in every like cell of my body, put it to the side, get real quiet and then say, well, what do I have in abundance? Um, or, um, I mean, there are lots of, but I'll just put that one out, but there, there, because we have retirement looming and things like that and long-term healthcare. So money can be a really big issue. Well, I think, yeah, for a lot of, older people and particularly for older women money is a huge issue okay so i have i am terrified about not having enough money to get i'm going to i'm going to run out of money way before i run out of life what am i going to do i'm terrified i don't have any major thing money coming in anymore okay set that there get really quiet What do I have in abundance? Okay. So one of the things is you can say to yourself, um, what things do I really enjoy doing? Ah, yes. Right. What hobbies do I seem to just do all the time? As a homeschool mom, one of the things I learned is don't try to tell your kid what they're interested in. Watch them. Because people will do the things that make them interested. People will do the things that bring them joy. So look at what, what you, how you like spending your time. Do you like spending your time um, uh, writing newsletters for your church? Maybe. 
Okay. Well, that's something if you really, really like that and you can't wait to do that each week, maybe you want to do it for more than just your church, right? Like, uh, that could be one. Um, um, also another thing too, is about abundance is let's say that you really, really, really love and you feel the happiest when you're in the mountains. But right now you live in a city in an expensive condominium. Well, maybe part of the abundance is going someplace that's less expensive that makes your heart sing every morning when you wake up. Yeah, I love it. I love this model. I love it. I love it. So everybody listening, try it out. I, I just, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful model. I love it. So Michelle, what's next for you? Do you know, do you have, or is it just wherever you're called to go, you'll go? Or do you have dreams? I mean, you have an amazing, amazing life. I mean, the the, the different turns and pivots you've taken are just amazing. So any sense of what's next? Well, um, well, the book just came out and I've learned a little bit about, oh, so I have a book now. So I turned the the trip, 12,000 mile trip all over the country, interviewing hundreds of people. I turned that into the book, right? Yes, I've got We the are book. now stories of what Americans lost and found during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's out by UNC Press. However, however, it looks like that there are not a lot of people out there who want to talk about the pandemic quite yet or think about it. And so maybe in seven years from now, when we do this 10-year retrospective, I'll have lots and lots of people who want me to come and talk to them and they want to read the book, but it's not hitting like that right now. So my cheese has been moved yet again. But the thing is that um, I, my motto at this point is please move my cheese. Now, why would you ever want your cheese to be moved? Well, if your cheese doesn't move, you just keep going with Jane back to that same little box every darn day. And life is in the people we meet along the way and the adventure and the journey. And so um, whenever my cheese is moved, I just kind of shrug and go, okay, here we go again. Like, you know, what do I have in abundance? And so, um, but every time we do that, going to something you read in the beginning, we get to see a different version of ourselves, which I think is super exciting. I think of each us each like a kaleidoscope. We're all born with a certain set of like pretty little colorful flecks and stuff. And and when you drop the the kaleidoscope and you pick it up, you're like, holy smokes, that wasn't the pattern I was looking at before, right? And and you think and you can change it by like five degrees or you know sometimes, but sometimes your hand slips and it goes ten degrees. You're like, oh. Whoa. All right. So then you see all these different versions of yourself. So every time the cheese has moved, you get to see a different version. So what's ahead for me? I actually don't know. I'm really interested in this scarcity abundance principle um, and maybe where I could take that and maybe um, going to community organizations that need to hear it, maybe companies that need to hear it. Um, so I just I, I, I think there's something there because I think it's so powerful. Um so I don't know, Sarah. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't. This just jumped into my mind. I have no idea what this means. But the, the one of the things that so many cities have now is an abundance of homeless people. Oh, true. And 
and and so in terms of scarcity, there's a scarcity of housing or knowing how to help this situation. And nobody really has an answer for it. And so that's that. What if you turned the scarcity abundance model in and focused on that? Is there anything? We don't have time to go into this, but just is there anything from that model that might suggest itself to cities as possibilities? Well, I, I think actually that model is the only way to solve intractable problems in society because every time you have a major problem, you start to think just around the edges. And 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 that very rarely yields much of a change. And so with our society, society's most intractable tractable problems, I think the scarcity abundance thing is probably the only way to go about it. So yes. Fun. And also this kaleidoscope analogy. I love that. Michelle, did you ever hear of Siobhan Daniels? I have. Yes. The woman in the UK who, yes, yes, who motorhomed all over the country. Yes. And has her book, uh, Retirement Rebel. Yes, I interviewed her on a podcast and she is delightful. And I just think the two of you could have the most fun conversation. Um, She is. Okay, well, this has been so much fun. I could do this for a long time, but we need to come (laughs) to an end. So if people would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure, it's super easy. Um, uh, My website is whoweareNow.us who we are now.us. And it has all my social media on there and information about the book and my journey. And it has some of the stories on there that aren't in the book. And so that's the best way. And if they wanted to just go directly to Instagram, I'm just Michelle Fishburne, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-F-I-S-H-B-U-R-N-E on Instagram. And I'm known as the happy nomad. The happy nomad. I love that. Oh, so that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Michelle Fishburne. And don't forget, you can find her at, say it again, whoweareNow.us. WhoweareNow.us. Thank you for being with us today. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com and get my free spark guide, seven questions to ignite your spark to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.